Turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to keep going in our journey through this gospel. We're still in chapter four this week. If you need a Bible, would you put your hand up and our ushers would love to bring one around to you. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible at home, that is yours to keep. Um, As you're turning to Mark, we're going to be in chapter four and we're going to be starting uh, this week in verse 21. So when we left off last week, we left off with Jesus again teaching the crowds Um, Jesus has now started to teach in parables. And we looked at the the parable of the sower last week, and Jesus spoke to them in parables. And then he called his disciples to the side. And as he engaged with his disciples, he explained the parable. But now he continues teaching the crowds uh, uh, in, in parables. And if you'll remember, from the moment Jesus stepped foot on the scene Jesus has been talking about something very specific. His gospel, the gospel that he's been presenting to people, is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so to put that in context, the people of Israel for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of years, had been looking for and longing for the kingdom of God that he had promised to finally come so that they could be rescued. The kingdom of God was going to bring with it no more war, no more woes. It was going to end the suffering that was taking place in Israel. And so for hundreds of years, Israel had been trained, look out for the kingdom of God that is, that is coming They were longing for it. And one day, God was going to send his Messiah who would usher in this this kingdom of God. And so they have their eyes peeled. When will this Messiah come? When will God reestablish his kingdom? When will all of the hurt and the suffering and the angst that we feel in this world be over? When is God going to do it? And so when Jesus comes and begins preaching... His message is all about the kingdom of God. And that would have piqued people's interest. The kingdom is being mentioned. The kingdom is being mentioned. And so now they would have started to tune their ears. So these crowds now, as they come to Jesus and they listen to him teach, they're looking for this glorious inbreaking of the kingdom of God that is supposed to break into creation through the Messiah. But see, they were looking... They were looking for a stunning warrior, somebody who was going to come and conquer the nations, be God's battle warrior. They were looking for a cunning leader, somebody who knew how to captivate the masses. They were looking for a captivating Messiah who was going to overthrow the world and reestablish Israel as God's crowning glory in creation. The crowds wanted the glory bringer Messiah, but what they encountered was the glory-veiled Messiah as God's glory was veiled in the human flesh of Jesus, and it made it somewhat difficult to understand and recognize because they were looking for this mighty Messiah, and then the man they had standing before them was a meek and mild Messiah, not what they'd been looking for. And at first glance, Jesus appeared so mundane that there was no chance anything he had to offer was going anywhere. This can't be the Messiah of God. And here's what we're going to learn in our passage today. If you're only looking for God in the mundane or in the magnificent, you'll miss him in the mundane. If you're only looking for God in the magnificent, you're going to miss him in the mundane. I'm going to give you the outline of how we're going to dive into this text. The first thing we're going to see is you need to pursue clarity. You need to pursue clarity to understand the Word of God and who the Messiah is and Jesus. 
pursuing clarity, then you need to have faith to believe the Word of God and believe the Messiah that He sent. And then you need to have foresight to recognize the kingdom of God present in Jesus Christ. You need clarity, you need faith, and you need foresight. And that's how Mark is going to walk us through Jesus' parables. Let's read these parables together. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21. And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have not left us abandoned to try and find our way through the dark to you. But you have given us a clear and comprehensible and comprehensible disclosure of yourself. Thank you that we get to see in your word Jesus is king, a mighty savior who came to redeem God, I pray that as we dive into your word, let your word speak. I pray that it would be your word and not my words that change hearts, that plant seeds and water them, and that harvest for life. Pray, God, that you'd move us to action, that we wouldn't be complacent in our faith, but that we would be movers, moved by your word to action for your word, that you might be glorified in your people. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our text, the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to take these parables one at a time, and the very first parable, the first thing that we're going to see is the key to understanding the kingdom is Christ. This is going to kind of cover all three of these parables, and we have to understand when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching a very specific message. In 21st century America, it is really difficult to understand a kingdom, because if I'm right, in 1776, we threw off a kingdom. We rebelled against a kingdom and said, nuh-uh, we're doing things our way. We don't have kings, we rebel against them. And so we really don't have an understanding and a really good grasp on what, what a kingdom is and really what it's like to be in a kingdom. Um, but as Jesus and Scripture point us to the kingdom of God, consider this. The kingdom of God is mentioned in something like 56 or 57 out of 66 books in the Bible. 
The kingdom of God is mentioned by almost every single author in every single book of the Bible. It is a key in Scripture. It's a major theme. And so for us who don't live in a kingdom without a king, to have such a major theme be so... um, unclear to us can be difficult. Let me explain, because when Jesus came, I said earlier, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus came first preaching. Go back to chapter 1, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, just a left-hand turn in your Bible, go to 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and this is what he was proclaiming. It was the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? This is what Jesus was saying the gospel of God is. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when Jesus taught, a lot of what he taught about was this gospel of God, which was God's kingdom was now at hand. And so first of all, what in the world is the kingdom of God? What is that? And it's really hard to figure out, is it like you can't hop on a train or jump in a car and go to a location and, hey, now all of a sudden I'm in the kingdom of God. You can go to the UK, the United Kingdom. You can go to kingdoms all around this world, but it's not like a place we can get to. So what is it? Is it only heaven? Is it only eternity? Uh, What is this this concept that they're going through? Let Let me say it to you in this way. The kingdom of God is not so much a place as it is a presence. The kingdom of God isn't so much a place as it is a person. So the kingdom of God is any sphere. This is my definition. Every scholar has their own. This is, and I'm not a scholar. This is the definition I'm going to give you, though. As I understand it, the kingdom of God is any sphere in which the presence and sovereign rule of God are experienced and authoritative. Any sphere in which you go into in which the sovereign presence and authority of God are experienced, and then they're considered authoritative. We surrender to them. So that means here on earth, the church is not the kingdom of God, but the church participates in the kingdom of God. We inhabit part of the kingdom of God as it exists temporarily, or in part And then one day in heaven, it will exist in full. But here I said the kingdom of God is more of a presence or a person than it is a place. And that presence and that person is Jesus. So when Jesus preaches about the kingdom of God, he says this, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was saying is not it's near to you as in a time, it's about ready to come. He did say that, but when he says it's at hand, that's not a time phrase, that's a spatial phrase. What Jesus is saying is, you know what, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you in space, Because all those people, as they encountered Jesus and walked up to him, they were near to the kingdom of God because they were near to the king. As they encountered Jesus, they encountered the king. And his very presence brings with him his kingdom. So as Jesus begins to preach, and he's preaching about the kingdom of God, he's also preaching about himself. The king has come near. He's saying, I am the Messiah. Even if I'm not the Messiah you've been looking for, I'm not the mighty warrior. I'm not regal. He didn't come riding on a big white horse with a, a nice royal entourage. He got 12 scruffy disciples. He rode in on a donkey. He's saying, I'm the king. 
but it was difficult for these people to digest because their expectation was for the warrior king, not the meek king. And so as Jesus begins to preach, his very first thing is you need to have clarity to understand. And this is the next point. As we get into this first parable, the crowds did not have the clarity to understand the kingdom of God. Look at the text, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Go just that far. What Jesus is saying in the first part of this parable, he's trying to make it clear to them, listen, the kingdom of God is not coming to be hidden, but to be revealed. They're looking at this Messiah and they're saying, what's going on with this guy that's claiming to be a Messiah? He's talking about the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem clear what's going on. And Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom didn't come to be hidden. The kingdom came to be revealed. And so in this parable, the lamp is Jesus. Look back. And he said to them, is a lamp, that would be Jesus, brought to be put under a basket. And the light that that lamp would give would be the truth of the word of God about his kingdom coming and the need for repentance, the truth about who Jesus was, and he is the eternal king that is going to rule over God's eternal kingdom. Saying, I didn't come to be hidden. And we lose something in translation here because um, in, in English, the actual literal translation of this is kind of clunky. But note this, the lamp is the subject of a sentence, not the object of this sentence. Now, you have to go all the way back to like fourth grade English to your subject-object clauses in, in grammar. And I know I'm about to like give palpitations to some people in the room and like this is not comfortable. I don't remember my third grade English. But let me tell you this, if you remember... The subject in a sentence does the acting. The object is acted upon. In the Greek, what this sentence said is the lamp comes not to be put under a basket. Think of the significance of that. A lamp can't come. A lamp is inanimate. A lamp can't make an action. What he's trying to point his original audience to, what Mark is trying to point his readers to, is look, this lamp is personified. This is Jesus I'm talking about. This is a person in a metaphor. Jesus did not come to be hidden but to be revealed. He says this lamp can't be put under a basket. Or under a bed. He uses simple logic or logic. In a first century, everybody would know if you're gonna bring a lamp into a room, your kindergartner could figure out where to put that dang lamp. It's not going under the bed because it gives no light to the house, it goes on top of the stand, that way we can see in the dark. Jesus is saying it's the same for me. And although you can hide a lamp for a short time under a basket, if it's lit, what's gonna happen? The basket's gonna catch fire and the lamp's gonna burn bright. The lamp can be hidden for a time, but it won't be hidden forever. And Jesus here, the glory of the king is veiled in human flesh almost in a hidden way, but Jesus is pointing them to it's not going to be hidden forever. The glory will be revealed. It's hidden for now, but it will be revealed in full. And when is it going to be revealed in full? On the cross and in the grave. 
when he goes to the cross to die for the sins of men and then the grave can't hold him, but it's found empty. And the glory of Jesus' divinity will be revealed at that point. And this is what Jesus is saying. Look at verses 23 through 25 again. If anyone has ears to, let, to hear, let them hear. This is simply what he's saying. It's a confusing word salad to say this. Pay attention. I'm telling you a truth. I'm trying to bring clarity to you, but he's using a metaphor to do it. He's using a story to bring clarity. And he's saying, pay attention. Yeah, anybody ever parent a toddler in this room? All right, toddlers, toddlers, how do they hear? They hear in one ear and right out the other ear as they're running from room to room. And then they listen for a short period and then become teenagers. And I've heard, I haven't had a teenager yet. Teenagers listen really well, right? saying, if you have ears, he's not just saying hear like a toddler would hear. Don't just hear a noise and ignore it. Pursue clarity. You're hearing this mystery about the kingdom of God. You're looking at me as I preach the kingdom and I see there's confusion. Don't be satisfied with the confusion, but pursue clarity. Put on ears to hear. Pay attention and listen up and understand what I'm saying. And then he gives a stark warning because the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a simple way of saying, if you don't care to hear, then God's not going to care to share. If you care to hear and you're willing to pursue clarity, God will give you understanding. There's something a friend of mine loves to say, and I love this saying. Uh, some of you know him, Pastor Brian White at Harvest and Carmel. He says, time and truth walk hand in hand. If you pursue clarity to understand the word of God, if you don't understand, this is what Jesus is saying to the crowds, if you don't understand, pursue the clarity. Don't give up because in time, if you really want to know the truth, you will come to understand the truth. God will measure it back to you and give you clarity and understanding. But if you're satisfied with confusion, God will be satisfied with your confusion too and let you walk the path of confusion just straight to hell. Pursue understanding. During mine and Jen's last couple of years in California, one of the greatest privileges of my career as a paramedic was I uh, got to be the lead instructor of paramedic science at a university. So I got to run a program and teach incoming students how to be paramedics. Um, as you might imagine, um, to become a paramedic, the training is rather intense. Um, it's a lot of information. I would always tell my students, I'm about to make you drink from a fire hose, um, and you will drink from a fire hose for about a year. It's a really high intense learning environment, and the pressure is put on, and there's a whole lot of not clarity because we're diving into really complex subjects like pathophysiology, disease process, treatment processes, and it's really intense for a reason because you want paramedics to learn in intense situations because when they get out, it's not going to be all rainbows and butterflies. But it's going to be really intense when they get into the field. And I all the time had students coming to me, I don't understand. We're moving at a fast pace. The information's really tough. I don't understand. And here's what I would do. I would say, okay, I'll tutor you. And I will tutor you. I don't care if I have to be here at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. I don't care if I have to give up my lunch break. I will tutor. 
But here's the catch. You can't schedule your tutoring with me right now because usually they'd approach me during class. I won't let you schedule tutoring with me right now. You have to text me later this week and tell me whether or not you want to be tutored, and I will help you pursue clarity. That helped me sort my students because the ones who were satisfied with confusion never sent the text. The ones who wanted clarity are the ones who sent the text and got the tutoring. The ones who usually would fail the program are the ones who didn't pursue clarity. The ones who came to me for tutoring would usually pass and go on to do really well. Jesus is using these parables almost as a sorting mechanism. Everybody gets to hear the truth. I will set the truth of the kingdom of God and who I am as the king before everybody. Are you going to pursue clarity or are you going to be satisfied with your confusion? That was, that's what he's bringing them to. Y'all, all too often, I think what we're looking for is the pillar of fire. You get my reference? In the desert, the mighty, miraculous work of God to care for Israel as they fled Egypt and as they wandered in the desert until they came to the promised land. It was the miraculous, mighty display of God's providence and his authority and his power and his care. Often we're looking for the pillar of fire. But what Jesus gives us is a parable of wisdom. These people were expecting God's kingdom to break into the world with thunder and lightning like Zeus might hurl a lightning bolt. They were looking for the king riding on the clouds. What they got was Jesus. Were they going to pursue clarity to understand this mighty king in meek appearance? Were they going to be satisfied and wander away? That's the question you and I have for ourselves today too. Are you satisfied with confusion? When you pick up the word of God in the morning and you read something out of Isaiah or the Song of Songs or you go into Revelation and you're like, I just don't understand. Are you satisfied with confusion? I guess I just don't need to understand. Or Christian, do you pursue clarity? God, I don't understand. Do you pray, help me to understand? Do you pursue what have scholars understood this to mean through the ages? Do you ask your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you find the sources that can help you understand the word of God so that you might know the mighty king? Are you satisfied? I guess I just don't understand and that's okay. Pursue clarity. There's a lot of believers who have made a shipwreck of their faith because they didn't pursue clarity and they were satisfied with confusion. And they began to misunderstand God and who he is. Look, all of scripture is teaching us who the Lord is, who Jesus is, and then showing us how to rightly respond to him. You can't respond properly if you don't understand him in the first place. We will shipwreck our faith with confusion. Pursue clarity. That's Jesus' exhortation. Pursue the clarity. I have another application. I, 
for the last three weeks, I, the Lord, like, I, I've just had a, a thought, and, and maybe it fits here. You'll have to decide. I, I've been wrestling with this for a while. Um, you'll have to decide if it's appropriate for today and the, the good application. I think as, as believers, so often we, we want to hide behind the cross of Christ. We come to redeeming faith. We surrender to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. And now we come to church and we feel like, man, I got to hide my flaws. We go out to the world and we're like, I got to look like I'm on the moral high ground because I'm representing Jesus. And so uh, we, we, we think we got to hide behind this cross of Christ and we have to look perfect and act perfect and talk perfect. And, and just we, we set this idealism in front of us. This is who I have to be. I think we forget the cross of Christ isn't something to hide behind. It's something that exposes us. The light that Jesus brings with this lamp, the cross that Jesus bore wasn't meant to hide you. It was meant to expose you, to expose your flaws, to expose your rebellion, to expose, can I say, your wretchedness, your offense against God? Because once it's exposed, then he also exposes you to the cross as redeeming power. In Matthew chapter 5, in his parallel account of this passage, Jesus then goes on to say, we are to be lamps set on a hill. We're to be the lamp. Let me tell you, if you go to people and your testimony is, I was generally good, I I did a lot of good things, I said a lot of good things, my language was pretty all right, I was a really pretty generally good person, I just had some rough edges that Jesus had to sand off for me. And so then, you know, I encountered Jesus and he rounded the edges, he, he busted the fuzz off and now I'm pretty all right. You begin to sow confusion for people, and you don't present them with clarity. Because think about this, the lamp of Christ cannot shine bright against the prideful arrogance of your beacon that you present to them. If your light looks, if your life, your testimony looks like a beacon of light that Jesus added to it, the lamp of Christ will not shine bright. But if your testimony sounds like I was broken and dead in my sin, I was separated from God because I had rebelled against the king, that's what I call sin. I was not living as God calls us to live. I was not ordering my life how he has called me to order it. I was a stench to him. But God, being rich in mercy and steadfast love, redeemed me by the cross of Christ anyways when he exposed me to my sinfulness and exposed me to his grace. Don't sow confusion for others. Sow clarity for others. Pursue clarity in the word. Sow clarity for the world. It's okay if they know you were a wretch because that makes Jesus seem all the sweeter. 
the next thing we see in the next parable. The next two are going to be shorter. I know you guys are looking at your watches. <laughs> Mark 4.26, look back at the text. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when it is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Think about this. This is what Jesus is saying. Kingdom growth often goes forward unnoticed. The crowds are looking at him. They're looking for the kingdom of God, which is what he's preaching. Jesus is saying the king is here. Therefore, the kingdom of God has come. That's what he's preaching. He's trying to make them understand in parables, in metaphors, this is real. And he says, look, the kingdom of God, you don't understand it because the work of the kingdom goes forward unnoticed. He gives them an agricultural metaphor. The farmer just in faith scatters the seeds, and then he has no idea how life is taking root. He's got no clue how the seed begins to germinate, how cells begin to reproduce, how roots begin to take form, how they grow deep, and how that plant then produces a sprout. He knows none of it. Not only does he not know it, he doesn't see it. Not only does he not see it, but he can do nothing to make it happen. He sows, and then the seed does its thing. Like these seeds, kingdom growth goes forward unnoticed. It's imperceptible growth with the roots of the kingdom are growing. That seed of the kingdom is germinating. Life is beginning to take root, and all of a sudden, then there's a shoot, and then a plant, and then a harvest. Take this to heart, believers. God is at work around you. Often it goes unnoticed. It's not as though God is active and at work and present in some spheres, but he's not in others. It's not as though just because the pastor goes out and lives life in the community, all of a sudden God's like lobbing good miraculous things for the pastor to see. And well, I'm looking around and I don't see nothing. It's not as though God is active in some spheres and not at others. It's not as though God is is active and present in Bible times, but he's not in these times. It's not as though God is present in one place, but not another. God is at work in the lives of everyone around you. He's germinating a seed in some of those lives. In other lives around you, he's beginning to till the soil. In some of the lives around you, he's hardening the path. But God is at work. And he's at work in the mundane of life. And he's placed you there so that you might see where he's at work and join him in the work. God's kingdom is growing. Life is taking root Do you have the faith to see it? Y'all, because here's our problem, I think, one of our big problems in 21st century American Christianity. We don't have faith big enough to see God in the small things. We want the pillar of fire. But what God gave us was a small pile of seeds. And he's placed them in your hand and he said, seed the field. Scatter those seeds. 
And then kingdom growth is taking place unnoticed. It is a confusing thing to us how the Holy Spirit moves into somebody's life, takes root in their soul, and brings faith to life in a person. It is a mystery how one person can go from death to life with a confession of faith and an acknowledgement and a surrender to Jesus and an acknowledgement that it is the cross that brings the forgiveness and not my own efforts. And it's a mystery. How in the world does that happen? Scatter the seeds, farmer. Scatter the seeds. Let God's kingdom grow around you because he's working in the lives around you, I guarantee. And then guess what? Live in relationship. Keep going back to the field where you've scattered the seed and just water. Water with kindness, with grace, with your words of testimony. And one day you may have the privilege of seeing a sprout and then a plant, and then an ear-producing grain, and then you'll hear your Savior say, now go harvest. But we've got to see God in the mundane, not just in the magnificent. What's it look like? I'll give you a couple of examples that I've just experienced Yours may look different. I had a friend who was an EMT call me one time. He had run a particularly difficult call. It was a call which there was a death on scene. And he was wondering. He was confused and he was anxious. I don't understand. And I got to plant a seed. I had a waitress at a restaurant. All I do when I sit down at a restaurant, when they bring my food, I say this one thing. How can I pray for you today? Because I'm about to pray for my meal. In that simple thing, I had one waitress just open up and about break down crying about how her daughter is bullied at school and she's really struggling and her daughter went to church once and bad things happened at that church and they haven't been back to church ever again. But she was so grateful that I'd even pray and I got to plant a seed that day. I had a patient on my ambulance one time relapse in his alcohol abuse. He was sitting on my cot, broken over his alcohol abuse, and I got to plant a seed that day. And then when we encounter these people over and over, we get to water that seed. The kingdom often grows unnoticed. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom is expanding right before you. Jesus came forgiving sins. It was upsetting the Pharisees, ticking them off, and it was putting them and his, him in their bad graces. Every forgiven soul was kingdom growth. And the people were not noticing it around him. In faith, believe that God is active around you. God, how can I just join you? Tend your field. And we go to verse 30 to 34. Here's the next one. The crowds did not have the foresight to perceive the kingdom's hidden glory. Look back at verse 30. And he said, with what will we compare the kingdom of God? 
Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Consider this, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into this world. It was veiled in Jesus' life, but it can be fully displayed in his death. Jesus is pointing us in this parable to the contrast. He's saying, think about a mustard seed. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed. Sometimes we put them in our cabinet to season stuff with. They're small, super small. And what Jesus is saying is, look at the contrast. This really tiny thing that is sown, yet something so disproportionate, a nine-foot bush grows out of a seed that small. From that seed and the disproportionate growth, now the birds of the air can even come and flock and find rest in its shade and build nests in its branches. So too, the kingdom of God is producing something so out of proportion with the seed that was being sown. People were looking at Jesus. Who are you? What can you really offer? You see, they look at Jesus. He's one man, just a radical rabbi leading a rough and tumble group of ragtag nothings. He's got a handful of disciples behind him. And this band of riffraff, they have no education, they have no religious training. They do not hold and possess the oracles of God like, like the real religious elites have. And they have no major backing from any religious institution. You're a small mustard seed, Jesus. Nothing can come from this man. Because there was nothing to him and nothing about him, they expected nothing from him. The crowds could have looked on at Jesus and thought to themselves, this is a nothing man born in a nothing place, living a nothing life that's going to die a nothing death. They had no foresight to see because they didn't have clarity to understand. They didn't have faith to believe. They now had no foresight to see the glory that was going to come when God's kingdom came in the glory of Jesus' death on a cross, resurrection from the grave, and the one day when he'll come in a blaze of glory on the clouds. They couldn't see. And it started with them not pursuing clarity. And as Jesus ushers in the kingdom, when the kingdom is at hand to you in the presence of Jesus, when Jesus has drawn near to you in saving faith, when people encounter Jesus through you and they experience the nearness of the kingdom of God and come to saving faith, what Jesus is saying is this kingdom will grow up into disproportionate growth so the birds of the air can even come and nest. This is what he's saying. Scholars disagree about who the birds are, and I don't want to wade into that, but here's what I understand this to mean. 
people from every tribe and tongue and nation from every age of the earth will one day all join together in the praises of heaven, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Jesus is going to be there on the throne. And the woes that you experience in this world, the sorrows that you have in life, the pains that you experienced physical and emotional and mental that are real in this world are going to fade away and you can make a nest and a home in the grace and in the mercy of Jesus. Do you have the foresight to see? The patience to hold on? Because of the kingdom and the grace and the glory that will one day be yours. So often we are looking for the pillar of fire, but what Jesus says is I have a prosaic mustard seed for you. This little nothing that will experience the explosion of growth and to grow into everything that you need. And one day that kingdom will come again in glory and we'll experience the unveiled glory of God in eternity as we get to rejoice in his presence. Jesus lived his life, he died his death, and he rose again to pave the path that gets to lead you and I to the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, our life will not be consumed with the hurts of the world, but with the joys of the next. What I have to offer you this morning is not the magnificent. What Mark offers you this morning isn't the magnificent. It's the mundane. The mustard seed that is Jesus. But if you're only looking for Jesus in the magnificent, then you're going to miss him in the mundane. Pursue clarity to understand your king. Have faith to believe in the kingdom expansion taking place in you and that he wants to do through you and that's going on around you. And have the foresight to see the glory that is to come. Because the fullness of the kingdom of God is present in the life and the death and the ministry and the resurrection of Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is not a place so much as it is a person. That's that person of Christ. So I'll say one last time, don't be satisfied with confusion. Pursue understanding. In faith, look for that kingdom growth and don't be consumed by the here and now, but fix your eyes and have the foresight to recognize that glory is to come. And encounter your Jesus, not in the magnificent, but in that mustard seed. And not of the glory, bright, shining beacon, but in a small lamp. That's just given light. Let's pray.